Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on the book of Revelation. And I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 as we read the verses 1 through 7. Let us hear the holy word of God. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Dear friends, if the Lord Jesus Christ were to list the strengths and weaknesses of your church, what do you think he would say? What strengths and weaknesses would he identify? And for what sins would he reprove and admonish? Well, we receive some indication of this in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. These two chapters contain the so-called seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. These churches are mentioned in chapter 1 verse 4 and listed by name in verse 11. They're mentioned in geographical order, starting with Ephesus, then north to Smyrna, further north to Pergamos, then southeast to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and finally Laodicea. And this is exactly the route that a messenger would follow when delivering a letter to each one of these places. And though they are addressed to specific churches at a specific time and place, the seven letters are addressed to all churches of every age and place. And that's confirmed by the fact that there were seven of them. And that was no accident. Seven is a number of fullness. And as such, the seven churches represent the full number of churches everywhere and at all times. The first letter in this series is the letter to the church at Ephesus. And as we'll see, this church had some very commendable qualities. But there was one problem. With all of its privileges, it had lost its first love. And so with this, this in mind and the help of the Lord, let's consider the words of this letter under the theme, Christ's letter to a loveless church. We'll consider, first of all, the care he demonstrates, secondly, the problem he identifies, and thirdly, the remedy he prescribes. The first thing we notice about this letter is to whom it was addressed. Jesus instructs John to write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. 
Now the word angel in Greek can also be translated as messenger. And as such, the word refers not to an actual angel, but rather to the pastor of the church. He is, after all, God's messenger to the congregation which he serves and to which he has been called. He is also the leader of the congregation, the first among equals. And as such, it's to him that Christ addresses his letter. He does so in the expectation that the messenger will convey its contents to the congregation he serves. Notice, secondly, from whom the letter is being sent. It says here, from him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, the seven stars are the angels or the pastors of the seven churches, as Jesus himself says in chapter 1, verse 20. The right hand is a symbol of authority, power, and protection. And by saying that he holds the seven stars in his right hand, our Lord is reminding us that the pastors of the churches, indeed all of the leaders of the churches, are accountable to him. He is the chief shepherd and they are the under-shepherds. But he's also reminding us that he has a loving concern for the pastors. They are in his right hand, meaning he is protecting them, leading them, guiding them, teaching them. The seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches, and therefore the church as a whole, as our Lord makes clear again in chapter 1, verse 20. The church is like a lampstand in that she shines the light of the gospel in the midst of a sin-darkened world. Among these seven churches, representing all churches, the Lord Jesus Christ is said to walk. And you notice he doesn't stand over them. He walks among them. He walks in the midst of them. And there's something very remarkable about this. Although Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father, he is not so far removed from his church that he doesn't know what is going on, much less care what is going on. He is still present among his church through his Holy Spirit. And as such, he is aware of everything. Nothing is hidden from his holy gaze. And there's something very comforting about that. The fact that Christ walks among the seven churches means that he knows and he sees all things. Like a shepherd with his sheep, he knows their needs. He comforts them when they are sad. He encourages them when they are discouraged. He even administers loving discipline when they go astray. He gives them everything that they need in order to grow and flourish and to become more and more like him. But this should also serve as a great warning. For since Christ knows and sees all things, how careful we should be and how we live and how we worship, let us always remember that Christ walks among the candlesticks also in the midst of his church still today. And so Christ reveals himself in this letter as the one who cares. But he is also the one who reproves. And that brings us to our second point. As we'll see in a moment as the king of his church, the Lord Jesus Christ will identify a very serious problem with the church at Ephesus and he will strongly rebuke her for it. But before he does this, he says something positive. There's something we can learn from that. Before we critique someone, before we re admonish or rebuke someone, 
let us first say something positive about them. That way, the rebuke goes a lot further and becomes easier to swallow. Well, Jesus does that here as well. First of all, he says something positive about this congregation. And what does he say that is so positive? Well, three things. First of all, he commends them for their diligence. He says, I know your works and your labor and your patience. He mentions the church's labors again in verse 3. And so we deduce from this that the church at Ephesus had worked very hard for the Lord. She had been spreading the gospel, sharing it with those in need, fighting against sin and temptation, and striving to live a holy life. And he commends them for this. He also commends them for their discernment. He says in verse 2, You cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Later on in verse 6, he says, You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we'll learn more about the Nicolaitans in a later chapter. But suffice it to say that they were teaching false doctrine, and they were encouraging compromise with worldly sensualism. But the Ephesians saw through their lies, and they dealt with them swiftly and firmly. Thirdly, Jesus commends them for their determination. Again, in verse 3, he says, You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, it's clear from this that the Ephesians faced incredible obstacles. The pressure to conform to the religious convictions and morals of the population was great. In fact, the Ephesian Christians probably suffered financially as a result of this. No one wanted to do business with someone who was not willing to conform and who stood in judgment over others. And as a result, it would have been so much easier for them to just give in. But they resisted this pressure, tooth and nail, and the Lord noticed, and he commended them for it. But while there was much for which to commend this congregation, our Lord was not entirely happy with it. In fact, he was grieved. Why? He tells us in verse 4, Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, commentators will differ as to the meaning of the phrase first love. What is this love referring to? Some will say that he's referring to their love for each other. In other words, Jesus is saying, you don't love each other the way you used to. But it's probably better to say that he's referring to their love for him. In other words, he's saying, you don't love me the way you used to. Now that makes sense when we remember that Jesus spoke these words some 40 years after the church at Ephesus was established. The members of the church were probably largely the children of the first converts. And as such, they didn't have the same love, zeal, and enthusiasm as their parents and grandparents did. And Jesus knew this. And that's why he said to them, you have lost your first love. You have lost the love you had for me at the beginning. Well, what is this love exactly? Well, this is the love that a believer experiences when he first comes to know the Lord. Dr. Joel Beakey puts it like this, and I quote, First love refers to the love when our souls are first captivated by the beauty, fullness, 
and loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore rest upon him for salvation, end quote. This first love is like the love that a young man has for his sweetheart when he first starts dating her. He thinks about her all the time. He feels joy in her presence. He's willing to do anything for her. It's the kind of love of which the great Scottish reformer Samuel Rutherford speaks when he wrote, Oh, my Lord, if there were a broad hell betwixt me and thee, if I could get at thee except by wading through it, I would not think twice, but I would plunge through it all if I might embrace thee and call thee mine. This kind of love is known by certain marks. It's known by a love for and delight in God, in prayer, in reading, in studying and meditating on his word, in attending public worship, the hearing of the preaching of his word and participation in the sacraments. It's characterized by a holy hatred of sin and an intense striving after holiness. It's characterized by a deep joy in God, a peace of conscience, a desire and liberty to speak about Christ and the things of God to others. It's characterized, too, by a love and concern for the souls of others, especially those who are going lost. Oh, my friend, do you know something of that love? Not everybody experiences that love in the same way. Some don't know of a time when they did not love the Lord. Others experience it in waves. There are times when they experience or they feel this kind of love, and there are times when they simply don't. But every believer knows of this love, at least to some degree. And it grieves us, as it also grieves our Lord, when this love begins to fade. Think of a marriage. Sometimes a couple that has been married for many years loses their first love. They don't love each other the way they once did. And this didn't happen all at once. It happened slowly, gradually, over time, but it happened, and it grieves them, and they would do anything to get their first love back again. Well, this was the case with the Ephesians as well. They loved the Lord once, so much so that they would have done anything for him, even lay down their lives for him, but they don't have that love for him like that anymore. They lost their first love. Why is that? What happened? Well, we don't know. Our Lord doesn't tell us. But experience teaches us that there are several things that cause us to lose our first love for the Lord. There are several foxes that spoil the vines, as Solomon put it. First of all, we lose our first love for the Lord when we neglect the means of grace, when we neglect reading and meditating on the scriptures, prayer, regular believing use of the sacraments and faithful attendance at the worship services. We lose our first love for the Lord when we simply go through the motions of religion, when we do everything that's required of us, when we pray, when we read the Bible, when we go to church and attend the Lord's Supper, but, but our heart's not in it. When we do these things merely out of a sense of duty and obligation rather than out of love for and devotion to God. We lose our first love when we become lazy and complacent about our spiritual state before God. 
when we're satisfied with the status quo, there's no growth, there's no development, and we're okay with that. We lose our first love when we become too preoccupied with material things and the things of the world, thinking that they will make us happy rather than God. We lose our first love when we forget how much we owe to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, my friend, what about you today? Are you guilty of any of these things? Oh, how we need to examine ourselves. And if any of these things are true of us, then we need to do something about it. But what should we do? Well, that brings us to our third and final point. After rebuking the church of Ephesus for losing her first love, our Lord goes on to prescribe the remedy. And it comes in verse 5. He says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's striking that our Lord does not simply cut off contact with the Ephesians. After all, who would stay with a lover who doesn't love them in return? But that's not what our Lord does. Instead, he stands and he urges, he pleads with them to do something And what were they to do? Well, he specifies three things. First of all, they were to remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Jesus says. Our Lord here is urging us to remember what we once were and what we have become. More specifically, he's urging us to remember the time when we loved the Lord Jesus Christ with a first love kind of love and how we love him now. He wants us to think about that. He wants us to remember those days. Why? So that we might realize how far we have fallen. And not in an end in its, not as an end in itself, but rather so that we might return to the way things once were. Remembering can cause us to see things we had not seen before. And our Lord knows this. And therefore he urges us to remember, remember what our love for him used to be like. Second thing he says is repent. Now there's a close connection between remember and repent. Our Lord wants us to remember so that we might repent. Now, repent means to do an about-face on sin. It means to go in the exact opposite direction. And that's exactly what our Lord is urging us to do here. He's telling us that the path we're on is not good. He doesn't like it, and we shouldn't like it, and therefore we should return. We need to go back to where we started, back to the beginning when our love for Christ was still so strong, we need to go in the opposite direction. We need to repent. Thirdly, Jesus says, we need to return. Jesus says, do the first works. Now that could also be translated as, do the, first, do the works of your first love, or do the works you did at first. And that means in the first place, we must return to the cross of Christ. And there we must confess our sins and our shortcomings. And we must seek forgiveness and cleansing from our sins. 
And then we must also return to what we used to do as his people. We must return to our study and reflection on the Word of God and prayer in our personal and family devotions. We must return to regular attendance at the worship services. We must return to being active and involved in the life of the congregation. We must return to those days when we witnessed freely of the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who do not know him. We need to return. And so there we have it. Remember, repent, return. This is what Jesus says we need to do, we need to do when we have lost our first love. Oh, my friends, do you hear him today? Would you also do this? If you don't, then you'll have to suffer the consequences. And what are those consequences? Well, Jesus tells us at the end of verse 5, he says, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says he'll come quickly. Now, he's not referring to his second coming at the end of time, but he's referring here to a special visitation in judgment in this time. Christ says he will come in judgment and punish this congregation if they don't repent. How will he punish them? He tells us, I will remove your lampstand from its place. What is this lampstand? Well, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and again in chapter 2, verse 1, John says that he saw the exalted Christ walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which, as he himself says in chapter 1, verse 20, are the seven churches. The churches are compared to lampstands because, like a lampstand, the function of the church is to shine the light of the gospel in the world. Now, when Jesus says he will remove the lampstand from its place, he means he will not enable them to shine the light of the gospel anymore, meaning, in effect, they will cease from being a church. And that's exactly what happened to the church at Ephesus. In fact, that's exactly what happened to all of the churches in Asia Minor. They were once flourishing congregations, but now there's nothing left of them. Even the cities where they once gathered are now, for the most part, only a heap of ruins. Oh, my friend, let us take warning from this. If we have lost our first love, then let us remember, let us repent, and let us return, or we may end up just like these churches in Asia Minor. But in order to do this, we need to hear, not just outwardly with the outward ear, but inwardly, not just physically, but spiritually, And that's why our Lord says in verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now these words appear in every one of the seven letters to the churches of Asia. They assume that not all who hear the words of the Lord hear in the right way. Some hear the words, but they don't understand them, and therefore they don't act on them. Others hear the same words and do understand them and do act on them. The former hear only outwardly, physically, but the latter hear inwardly and spiritually. The ears of the former have not been opened by the Holy Spirit, but the ears of the latter have. And then the question comes to us, do you have spiritual ears to hear what our Lord is saying here? If you don't, then nothing that I say will make any difference to you. You'll simply take it for information and nothing else. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will hear and do what our Lord commands us in our text. Nevertheless, to encourage us in this, our Lord holds out a precious promise. It comes in verse 7. 
To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, overcoming is a major theme in the book of Revelation. It appears no less than 17 times in this book alone. And it implies that as we live out our faith in the world, we will encounter many obstacles, one of which is losing our first love for Christ. Now, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, these obstacles must be overcome. And if they're not, then we won't reach the final goal, our final destination, which is to be in heaven with Christ and God. But to those who do, Christ promises to grant them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's simply another way of saying that we will enjoy eternal life in perfect communion and fellowship with him. Well, my friend, what about you today? Do you want to live forever? Do you want to enjoy unlimited and undiminished communion with God? Jesus tells us how. We must overcome. We must overcome all of the obstacles that stand in between us and God, not least of which is our lack of love for him. Oh, will you do that? As I already mentioned, we can't do that in and of our own strength. We can only do this through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. But this is something that he is able and also willing to provide. And so let us not be discouraged. Yes, we may have lost our first love, but he has made a way whereby we can be restored to fellowship and communion with him. It's by overcoming. And blessed are those who do. For to him who overcomes, Jesus says, he will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy and privilege to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org and please, call, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you, free of charge, a wonderful little booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace. and We hope it may be a rich blessing to you and your family. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website, and that's at www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website, at www.frcna.org. 
Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.